Okay, we're going to finish up the book of Mark tonight. And if you've been with us, we've been walking through this book, trying to uh, wrap our minds around what God wants us to understand and learn and what the author, uh, Mark, uh, the, his, his style and his format and what, he, what questions he's trying to get us to contemplate. Uh, so tonight we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to start just by reading the first part of Mark 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Christ. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling, and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This uh, mic stand is going to work eventually. Uh, This account of the resurrection is in all four of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about the the resurrection account of Jesus Christ. They all have a little bit different flavor, uh, give us some different insights to to this event. But for the most part, we're going to... We're going to kind of talk through what it's like in Mark, and then we'll bounce to, to Matthew a little bit as well. Uh, but before we do that, if you guys would join me in prayer. Living God, thank you for your word. Thank you for gracing us with even the opportunity and ability to understand it by your Holy Spirit. I pray that tonight you would... Um, clear out any distractions. Uh, I ask that you would surround us with your presence. You stand against the enemy and anything that he would do to try to distract, uh, confuse um, our hearts and our minds. And pray that focusing on uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ would change us uh, once more into greater reflections of your image. It's in your name I pray. Amen. To talk about the resurrection is kind of an interesting thing because you, in some ways you all sit here as, as mortal men and women who will one day die, but in a lot of ways you sit here as immortal beings who will live forever. And so there's this, there's this tension that takes place when you talk about death and eternal life, when you talk about death and, and resurrection. And I think it's first important to recognize that uh, the disciples were not expecting resurrection. Even though Jesus has said over and over and over that he's going to be crucified uh, and rise again on the third day, uh, he's continued to repeat this. In Mark, who we know as an author, he basically just gives highlights. Um, he even gives us that highlight in chapters 8, 9, 10. And although Christ has continued to say this, they were not expecting uh, a resurrection. They weren't expecting his death either, right? Uh, but you think about how odd this would be even to us, and it's, it was odd to them as well. 
to talk about someone who's going to resurrect from the dead. And so we get insight into that, uh, considering even though he told them on the third day he would rise, this is the third day, and, and Scripture doesn't record any account of the disciples saying, hey, you know what, maybe we should just go check. Maybe we should go at least take a, take a look, because remember what he said? I mean, it's just, it's, it's not on their radar. Uh, I, I think they're still kind of in, in shock from his, his death, in shock from his crucifixion. Uh, that was uh, an incredible night, uh, a dramatic night for them. Remember, they're all fleeing. Um, they're denying him. There's a lot going on, and I think they're, they're, they don't know what to do now. Uh, also, you get this account of, of the women, the Marys, um, who are bringing spices to anoint a dead body. So they fully expect to come and, and see uh, their dead rabbi. But yet when they get there, we have this, this incredible account of an angel who declares to them, he's not here, he's risen. Uh, in Jerusalem, we had the opportunity to go there uh, quite a few years ago, and there's a couple sites that, that they push to be the, the grave of Jesus, and who knows if either of them are exact representations. There's one, a tomb in the garden, that seems more likely to me when I read the account of Scripture. And it's just a sweet place to go, and you literally see uh, this rock and this hole cut out of it. Uh, you, you can walk in it and see the tomb. And right now they have, a, they have a door, a little wood door that they open during the day and close at night when the, when the park is closed. And this sign that's just very humble, wood sign that says, He is risen. And it just gives you chills standing there. And it, you, just, you, you realize this is more than just in a, in a storybook. Uh, this happened. This took place. And according to Paul, uh, he, wrote, he writes about the resurrection in, in ways that I don't think anyone else does in Scripture as the Holy Spirit moves through him. And he basically declares the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would say, as the hinge pin of, of the Christian faith. He upholds the resurrection as the, the explanation point, the all caps of the entire movement of Christianity. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 14. Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are a people most to be pitied. But the fact is, Christ has indeed raised from the dead. So according to Paul, if Jesus Christ, if the resurrection isn't real, there is no salvation. The crucifixion was necessary to take upon our sin. But if Christ stayed dead, his, he, he has no victory over sin. We have no freedom from our sin. We are still in our sins, the scriptures say. So oftentimes, obviously you can't have a resurrection without a crucifixion, uh, and vice versa, um, according to our belief in scripture. But many times I think we focus on the death of Jesus Christ, and rightly so. Uh, I think that's part of what communion is asking us to do. Uh, but sometimes I think we stop there, and we believe in Easter, and we believe in a resurrection, but we don't spend a lot of time focusing on it uh, and how it affects and applies to our life today. So my desire is uh, to do that this evening. 
So if this is the hinge pin of our faith, let's look at some evidences. Obviously, I believe the fact that many in this room have full assurance that Jesus Christ, in fact, is alive, that Jesus Christ, in fact, has raised from the dead, but that goes against all logic. And yet, there's many in this room who would, who would go to the grave, who would die for that. Uh, to me, that says something. To me, that says that the Holy Spirit is at work. That we don't, we don't, we're not ready to die for things that are completely unnormal or illogical, um, unless there's something miraculous taking place. But at the same time, belief in the resurrection isn't uh, just completely blind, ignorant faith. It's grounded in some things. And so, a couple evidences of the resurrection. First, you have the empty tomb. Uh, We just read about it in Mark. I'm going to read about it from a little bit different perspective in Matthew, where same same situation, right? The women come to the tomb expecting to find Jesus. And in Matthew, it says, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And then listen to the reaction of the guards. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So these guards are exposed to this earthquake. They're exposed to this angel on some level. And it says they became like dead men. But they have a problem because they realize the tomb is empty. And the religious leaders and the people who were adamant about killing Jesus and crucifying Jesus are not going to be happy. They're doing everything they can to put a stop to Christianity uh, followers of Christ. Certainly they believed in Yahweh and God in the Old Testament, but remember, they did not believe that Christ was the promised Messiah. So, so they hate this movement, they hate him, and they hate everyone involved, so they crucify him. And all of a sudden, they have an empty tomb on their hands. So they tell the guards, uh, they go back and they report to the chief priest all the things that have taken place. And when they assembled the elders to take counsel, they gave the guards a sufficient sum of money and said, you start a rumor, tell the people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, because if you fall asleep uh, on guard, you are executed. And so that's kind of a scary proposition for, doesn't matter how much money you have if you're dead, right? And he says, here's the deal, we have your back. If this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. So the guards took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has spread among the Jews to this day, the day when these things uh, were written. So the first problem of these people is they have an empty tomb on their hands and they got to figure out what to do about it. So they will quickly decide, throw money at them, start a rumor, the disciples stole it. You realize if they could have discovered or found the dead body of Jesus Christ, all they had to do was march that dead body through the streets of Jerusalem on the third day, on the fourth day, and Christianity doesn't exist. So if there really was a dead body and you had all of these enemies of this movement, it was very easy to put a stop to. But it never happened because there was no dead body. Scripture says that after the resurrection, Christ appeared to hundreds of people. So if this was just a group of people who were either uh, making a story up or perhaps they were hallucinating or... Um, who just out of their minds, uh, Scripture gives account. I believe at least in the Gospels, there's there's about seven different accounts that are that are told of Christ appearing. Uh, the details of, and it says he for forty a period of forty days he appeared to to various people, and at one point he appeared to over five hundred people at one time. And when Paul wrote the fact that he appeared to five hundred people, 
uh, he's writing and he says, actually, many of these witnesses are still alive. Essentially, if you want to test me on what we're proclaiming, and we would, right? If we heard about this, we'd, we'd want to know if this was true. And so Paul says, if you want to test me, many of them are still alive. Go ask them. Here's some of their names. Go talk to them and see, see if you can convince them that this hasn't happened. One of the, I think, sweetest observations of this is the way that the resurrections changed the disciples. If, again, if you'll remember, the night that as Jesus is going into Jerusalem, they all got pretty big chests and they're strutting and they're thinking, all right, presidential campaign, we're getting ready to win. Once Jesus starts to show them and they start to grasp the fact that, wait a minute, he's hanging on a cross and he's dying, or when he's betrayed before that, what do they do? They flee. They, they turn into cowards. They run. They deny him. They're scared for their lives. And then they go shut themselves up and they hide for fear of the, the enemies of Jesus are going to be the enemies of them as well. But all of a sudden, you get a group of people that the disciples go from cowardice to people who are willing to die horrific deaths for their faith. Something happened. They saw something. They were exposed to something that strengthened their faith in a way that um, at least 10 of the 11 disciples were martyred. Severe deaths for proclaiming that Jesus Christ has in fact risen. Around, we've talked before about there was a lot of messianic movements during the time of Jesus, people who would proclaim to be the Messiah around Jerusalem. And all of those movements uh, that we have recorded, the leader dies and the movement dies very quickly soon after that. Christianity, the leader dies. And then within 300 years, it's, it's exploded throughout the entire Roman Empire. The movement didn't die because the leader raised from the dead. And obviously, we have the effects of this today. Interesting thoughts. If we're making this up, if this story is just, just a fable, uh, it's kind of interesting that they would use women as the eyewitnesses. In that time, women had very, very little credibility uh, wrongly so, but that was the situation. And so if I was trying to convince you uh, that I saw a unicorn today, and I said, no, this is what it looked like, this is what happened, one, you'd think I was out of my mind. If I said, no, no, trust me, uh, a two- and a three-year-old saw it with me. Go talk to them. <laughs> right? You, you, that would hold no water with you. Uh, if I'm trying to convince somebody of something and, and make a, a claim on something, uh, that's when we want a job, we, we give the best references we can, right? We want people who are credible. And so why in the world would Mark and the others use women to do this? That would be crazy, except for the fact that it was true. That's how it happened. Christ appeared first to the women. And the women go and report to the other disciples, and they they didn't give them credit either. They said, nah, that can't be. Which, I don't blame them. Not because of the women. The whole resurrection of the dead thing would be hard to believe until you saw it. But I think that's the beauty of Jesus walking into the room and saying, go ahead, touch my hands. You got something to eat? Touch the hole in my side. Credibility. So what did the cross accomplish? Revelation 21.5, the claim that Jesus declares is, Behold, I am making all things new. Where I believe the, the resurrection is where Jesus Christ conquered sin and conquered death for all time. 
Isaiah 35, 4 says, To those who have anxious hearts, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, and with, recompense, with the recompense of God, he will come to save you. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, 56 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I see the resurrection. In some senses, I see this is where, where Christ has his boot on the neck of Satan. And though Satan still has power that God has given him in this age that we're living in, uh, that we're completed spiritually, but we're not yet complete in every sense of the way, we have entered rest, but we haven't entered into eternal rest. I think God still has his foot on the enemy. But for whatever reason, and for, for perfect reasons, uh, the enemy still has breath. But I think when you spend time thinking of the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, when he declares it is finished, paid in full, uh, I believe that's his victory chant that will echo through all eternity. And so now we're in this, this interesting, interesting time that we can declare that and we can claim that in a spiritual sense, but yet I'm not completely... Sin, even though it's been conquered, it still affects my life. It still affects your life. It still affects my mind. It still affects my body. But the beauty is the lasting power of sin is gone. Isaiah 25.8 says that he will swallow up death forever. There's a, there's a great picture of this uh, in Colossians 2.15. We've talked about it before, where it says, Having canceled out a certificate of debt consisting the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And when he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Again, I get visuals God gives me sometimes, and I get this picture of, of Christ in his ascension, entering heaven, in some senses, not on a donkey this time, but perhaps in a chariot, and he's got two bodies, he's got two enemies being dragged in the dirt behind him, and that's sin and death. And specifically, that's my sin and my death. That I'm experiencing turmoil from now, but with eternal eyes, those things are face dust to the ground. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you as well. God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God takes dead things and he brings them to life. That's his signature move, right? Those scars that the disciples thought were ruining their lives, those scars were saving their lives. At that point, little did they know that death would not hold the creator of all things. Second Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. So I believe this accomplished, as we think about that, that edict where it says that our sin was nailed to the cross and Christ declared paid in full, no more debt for us. You think about what we were saved from. Scripture in, in Romans 6.23 says that the, the wages of sin or the debt of sin is death. The wrath of God to be poured out. 
That's what I earned. I was in opposition of God. I was an enemy of God when he paid the penalty for me. And so it says I am free from that penalty. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Romans 8, 2 says, Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of death. So if there's a cosmic courtroom and God is the judge, as he looks at me, he can declare me innocent and he can say with confidence, and I can say with confidence, I will never taste the wrath of God. Praise Jesus. That one day the wrath of God will be poured out on all evil. One day it will not be contained. One day he will, as he's just now, he will execute that justice. And every single one of us should have been in the way of that consuming fire. But because Christ chose to be burned, every single one of us should have been decapitated by the holy sword. But because Christ took on the sword, we will never taste that. Certainly we taste effects of sin in a fallen world. Certainly we taste the discipline of God. But never, ever, ever the punishment and wrath and penalty do us. Because of his death and because of his resurrection. Also we're free from the power of sin. What does that mean? Bible talks about sin at one point reigned over us. It was, it was our authority. Whether we knew it or not, it had full control and authority to govern our lives. Before faith in Jesus Christ, and when that forgiveness and that freedom from the power of sin is, is removed from us, uh, we can't not sin. We can do a lot of good-looking things. But somehow, some way or another, all of that stuff is for our sake. All of that stuff is continued to be consumed with our selfishness. Our acts of charity are so that we would feel better. Now certainly, as a born-again believer, you can commit acts of charity and feel better. But hopefully it's for their sake, not ours. Romans 6, 5 says, For we have been united with Christ in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So I believe as a believer that sin now is always a choice. Where if I engage in sin, it's because I have in some ways chosen to. And that can make you feel a little bit guilty and maybe it, it ought to make us feel convicted and then thankful for the forgiveness. But it also gives me a lot of hope because I have power and I have authority over this now in Christ Jesus so that I'm no longer being drugged by the snout anywhere that sin would take me. Think of Old Testament accounts where Jesus freed people, where Israel was in absolute slavery uh, for years to Egypt. And he sends Moses and his brother Aaron, and they go and, and they ask, they say, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. 
You need to, you, they need to enter into freedom. Why? So that they may worship me. Over and over. I want my people free. Why? So that they may worship me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't just free us from the penalty of sin, but it freed us from the power of sin that allows us and equips us to worship God, to live as we are designed to live. Who the Son has set free, you are free indeed, John 8, 36. Galatians 5, 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not yourselves be burdened again to the yoke of slavery. See, the reality is, if you're a Christian, you are free from these things. But God, in our process of sanctification and in our process of refinement, he wants what's true to be experienced. He wants what's true to be applicable in our lives. There's an old story uh, in our country when slavery was abolished. And there were still, so, so truthfully, legally, uh, in the United States, uh, the slaves were free. They could no longer be owned uh, by individuals against their will. But around the South, there was many, many slave plantations that uh, knew nothing about this. And if you're a certain kind of slave owner, you're not going to tell your slaves about these things. And they didn't have the internet back then, and slaves didn't have access to a lot. And so there's a, an interview um, that's reported that, that a man came down to one of these plantations, and he uh, grabbed one of the slaves, and he says, Sir, tell us how you feel about Abraham Lincoln, and tell us how you feel about freedom. And the guy was just confused, and he said, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln, and I don't know nothing about freedom. Where positionally, he was a free man. Experientially, he wasn't. And unfortunately, the enemy has continued to deceive Christians of the fact of their forgiveness and continue to deceive Christians of the fact that their old self is dead and and Christ has made them brand new. I love the story of Lazarus where here's a dead friend of Jesus's. And Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the grave and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And so as soon as Lazarus comes forth, he has his burial wrappings on, right? I mean, he's still walking kind of like I do. He wobbles out there. And the first thing that Jesus tells people is, go take off that man's burial clothes because they are not fitting anymore. This man is alive. And I think it is time for us Christians to take off our dead men clothes. We need to stop acting like dead men. We need to stop acting like slaves to, to sin. I have no desire to empower your flesh. I have no desire for you to um, get a big head and a barrel chest as if this was anything that we accomplished on our own. But I realize that it is just as prideful to not accept what Christ has done and declared for me. And so whether you take the slant of arrogance and haughtiness where God wants to break you from that, or whether you take this kind of false humility of self-hatred and defeatism, either way, you're holding yourself up against God, and either way is steeped in pride. So if you guys want to, let's do a little exercise. I want you to remember this. We did this about two years ago. Some of you will remember. Um, But if you're up for it or if you're willing, I want you to stand up. And if you have babies in your hands, don't drop your babies. And I want you to put your hands 
in a position of victory. Keep them up. So as we're doing this, you're going to be kind of conscious of what other people are thinking. You're going to wonder if you applied enough deodorant. And if I have you hold your hands up long enough, they're going to get tired. And those are great, great reminders that we are still in these decaying and dying bodies. And so this posture is a posture of victory. It's been said that when a a born blind individual uh, was in a race and won, this is where he went with his hands. He's never seen it. This posture right here is, I believe, spiritually, your spiritual self, which is your true self, I believe this is its posture at all times. When I forget who I am and I am gossiping about a friend, my spirit is still like this. When I'm engaged in pride, wallowing in shame, committing acts of lust, spiritually, if I am in Christ Jesus, my posture is this. And it will stay like this for all time. And I get this idea in this picture is because Christ is holding them up. Take a seat. Again, what I think this does application-wise is temptation will continue to befall us. Temptation will continue to be in front of us and placed over us. And if I think I'm still, as the Old Testament uses, if, I'm, if I think I'm still a prostitute, if I think I'm still a whore, over time I'll start to live that out. But Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I'm not going to charge you for your prostitution. I'm not going to arrest you for your whoring. I'm going to take you from that and I'm going to make you a queen. It would have been enough for Christ just to cleanse our name, but he gave us his. And I think when we dwell on that and we remind each other of that, that's when we have victory over sin. Luke 10 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Joel 3, 9, 11, and 16 says, Rouse the warriors. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. The Lord roars from Zion. So somewhere, and I pray that it's steeped in, in the middle of our humility, and I pray that it is uh, surrounded by the free, pure grace of God upon our lives. Somewhere within your doctrine, and within your mindset, I pray that you would continue to see Christ standing victoriously, and he has you with him. Because I believe that's what we need to draw from to reflect him to a world to have power over sin. Earlier, when we were reading, it says if if the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if Christ has not been, been risen, and he came for this life only, we are people most to be pitied, which tells me part of the beauty of the resurrection is the fact that we will live forever. Everything painful that you will ever experience if you are in Christ Jesus, everything painful is temporary. 
everything good is eternal. And that does something for me right now. That gives me hope for the future that carries me for today. It means if you're, if you're lonely in heaven, you will be fully satisfied in relationships. If you're sick of sinning over and over and over the same way, when you enter heaven, that flesh is going to fall to the ground and leave you forever. If you've had miscarriages or abortions or lost loved ones, friends, in Christ, we will see them again. When you know that, you have hope for the future, you have purpose for the present, and you can endure anything that the world will throw at you. Where we are never despairing. Most of you have, have uh, walked with me through my, my broken body journey, um, walked with a lot of us through our broken body journeys, and Again, it's always, you pray a lot about, you've been exposed so much to that, you don't want to bring it up a whole lot. Uh, You don't want to keep talking about the same thing. But at the same time, I feel like we've been, uh, those of us who have experienced the the love of the body, you have grieved with us so much and you have celebrated with us so much, I think sometimes it's fitting. And so for me to not be able to run, to not be able to to do the things that I love to do um, has been hard, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes it, okay. And so if Christ did not raise from the dead, I have, I waste my thought process or God wastes his time when he keeps me awake at night, um, reminding myself that I'll run for all time. And then this doesn't seem so bad. You think about, you can endure anything for a little bit, right? If you're having kind of a tough day and you know, hey, tomorrow's going to be better. All right, you get through it. Now, our days are a little off, right, compared to eternity. The other, we can run, a human can run at top speed anywhere from, you know, like 7 to 11 seconds. And then that's not very long. 7 to 11 seconds, and then we start decelerating. And so the other day, I was in bed listening to music, thinking, and I imagined, what would it be like, guys, to run across the most beautiful setting and surrounding and be able to run for like an hour at top speed. Now, I don't know if, what you're going to do. I, I'm going to probably do something like that. But you think about what that would be like. And I tend to get lost in music and adrenaline and things like that. And then I had this picture of angels kind of, I don't need Beats headphones. I need angels that are just soaring next to me singing. Be in my, be in my playlist, right? And for the first three years, I don't need a destination. I just want to do that. And then at some point, maybe we'll run to your house or something like that. I don't know if that's what it's going to be like. But I'm telling you, that's more than just fantasy. Now, the details, maybe. I'm off my rocker. I don't know. But the reality is, your story and my story, indeed, in Christ, has a happy ending. It has a happy ending. This is how we finish. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ if you have received his forgiveness, if you have thanked him for taking on your death, and if you have focused and believed in the fact that you took on his life, we live forever. Praise God.
He has risen. And he's brought us with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for really just gracing us with faith, even though I, I don't understand all this, and to try to wrap my mind around God becoming a man and dying for me is, I don't have the capacity to fully grasp that. But I do believe that by your grace, you have given us portions of faith uh, to trust some of it. And so I pray for all of us that you would just deepen that, that you would make that real. I pray for the salvation of those who are still enemies of God, who are in opposition of God. Open their eyes that they might see. Those of us who you have plucked from that, I pray that we would experience that every day. I pray that we would be quick and good at reminding each other of that. And I pray that it would produce uh, a boldness in the way that we live and a rest and a peace and a freedom. And I pray that it would produce humility that would in some ways just break us every time. Thank you. Amen.